to Board Game Famous, the podcast that it only took seven episodes before we ran out of ideas and accidentally reused one of our intros. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. I just want everyone to know that that was not my mistake. Nope. Uh, that was all me, and I thought, oh, what a funny thing to say. And then I was editing episode five and went, oh, no. <laughs> I was hilarious in the past as well. So, Michael, I wanted to start a little differently today. Instead of asking you what you've been playing, I wanted to ask you, uh, who are your top three designers? Well, a lot of games are not designed by themselves, and so I don't probably have a top three, but a top two. And my first answer is not a single designer, but a group of designers. I was going to name Corey Kaneska, basically because I love his work on Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, but he was definitely not the only designer on that, so I have to give a shout out to all the designers on that. Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, that is definitely my gaming group's favorite event game, where we dedicate an entire day to that. But singular designer, mainly because he's the person who got me into board gaming because those were the gateway games that transitioned me from Catan to the more heavy things. Jamie Stegmeier through games such as Viticulture and Scythe. Those games are still very solid to this day. If you had to pick a third, who do you think it would be? I had to pick a third. I might pick, was it Thomas Lehman? Mainly because I want to play his new game that's coming out this year. Really bad. Oh, what's his new game that's coming out? It's not Dice Realms, is it? I believe it is Dice Realms. Is that mm. out? No, but I think it's it's coming out soon. Oh, the reason I wanted you to pick three is because I do have a follow-up question. So between Corey Kaneska, Thomas Lehman, and Jamie Stegmeier, bang, Mary kill. Mary Jamie Stegmeier, due to the love of my life, consistency, you know, I feel like I could play his games forever. Ooh, good answer. Uh, bang, Corey Kaneska, because the intensity and the length of that one <laughs> game that I really enjoy... <laughs> Oof, man, just, you know, I'll be talking about it. Maybe maybe not to Jamie Stegmeier. I'll be talking <laughs> about it to all my friends for years to come. Uh, and then I guess that means kill Thomas Lehman. Uh, I'm sorry, you know, your role in Race for the Galaxy and your upcoming Dice Realms. Someone didn't make the cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, the, that was the only reason I wanted you to pick your top three designers. I wanted to know. <laughs> Are we going through this exercise with you too, or is that just for me? <laughs> I mean, I could do it if you want. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> because uh, I, I knew you'd be springing it back on me. I've had a little time to think about this. Uh, so my top three designers, I think, right now are Jamie Stegmeier, Uwe Rosenberg, and Stefan Feld. Good answer. Good answer. So Uwe Rosenberg and Stefan Feld are both more of the hardcore Euro game designs. Uh, so I would say Mary Stefan Feld, because... He just gets me. Every time I play one of his games, I'm like, this is for me. This is exactly what I want. I would say bang Jamie Stegmeier, because I haven't enjoyed every single game of his that I've played, but he's good for uh, he's good for dating around if I have to. And then uh, kill Uwe Rosenberg, because I've enjoyed several of his games, and I don't think he's going to put out anything else that I'm going to enjoy, so... <laughs> <laughs> Does he have any games coming up? I mean, Hollertau was just released... Uh, I think that's his newest big box game. And there are a couple others of his uh, of Uwe Rosenberg's that I haven't played. But now we can... I'm, I'm trying to think if I've played any of uh, Stefan Feld's games, too. I've played all the iterations of Castles of Burgundy. So I've played Castles of Burgundy, Castles of Burgundy the Dice Game, Castles of Burgundy the Card Game, uh, La Isla, or La Isla, depending on how you pronounce it. I've not played Castles of Tuscany. 
I need to play Trajan and Carpe Diem. Those are two pretty high on my list that I need to play. I played uh, Castles of Burgundy three years ago, so mm-hmm. so I have played one of his games. I've played a couple of his uh, a couple others of his games. I've played a game called Aquasphere, which is not one of Stefan Feld's highly regarded games, but I really like it. It's one of those games where you have to try and plan out your turn so far ahead, and you're doing all the math and by the time you finish your turn, you realize you're you're a little short on your math and you, <laughs> you're just wrong. All right, so now I'll lead to our normally scheduled programming of, Michael, what you been playing? Yeah, so this past week I, I managed to convince a couple friends to get a couple games that they've ordered but haven't played yet to the table. They've had them for a while. We, we have those games and we decided that this was going to be one of those times that we were just going to get a couple games that we haven't opened, we haven't learned yet, and get them to table. So uh, we played one game from two different friends and the first game that I played is Cascadia. Cascadia is published by Flat Out Games. And AEG. Yeah, it's a yeah, uh, yeah. Cascadia is published by Flat Out Games and AEG. It is a tile building, tile placement game where uh, you are building a nature area, each your own personal nature area with these uh, hexagonal nature tiles with these different habitats, and you're placing animals into these habitats to create these animal. Uh, pattern combos based on the scoring cards and it was very relaxing at the beginning and it gets stressful towards the end as you try to uh, make certain things work the best yeah so you're placing these tiles and you know you have five different scoring conditions and you can't focus on all five so you have to uh, kind of form a strategy of oh i'm going to focus on on this these two and not worry about these guys now, it's a very much a spiritual successor to Calico, but it's not the same designers, which I thought was interesting. Uh, have you played uh, Calico? I still haven't played Calico. And the uh, second game that I was able to get to the table from my friend's collection of games that they hadn't played is uh, Ride the Rails. Ride the Rails is from Capstone Games. This is another train game with... I wouldn't say that it, 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 it's a stock train game, so it's 18xx Lite. They are the same company who created Irish Gage and the soon-to-be-released Iberian Gage, or has-been-released Iberian Gage. This has a lighter stock mechanic, even more so than uh, Irish Gage. The auction There is no auction phase where people are bidding money for different stocks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, on your turn, you just pick a company and you take one stock from that. And Ooh. that's that is it. It's nice and simple, nice and quick. It takes over six turns, and same kind of thing that you can only build trains from companies that you have stock in. But the payouts are based on the amount of stock you have in it. I have played Irish Gauge before, and I thought it was pretty good. But I think I prefer Ride the Rails. So Ride the Rails takes place in uh, the United States. It's your classic: start on the East Coast, work your way west. As time progresses, you can start uh, building train tracks from Chicago and then finally from the West Coast East uh, in that classic historical uh, style. And you can invest in more and more stocks, but it's an 18xx Lite and it was a lot of fun. Nice. So, David, what have you been playing? So I got to try out a party game that I've never really played before called Two Rooms and a Boom. It's a quick social deduction game and I was playing with 
a new group of gamers to me. So it's a pretty good way to, to meet new people, to talk to people. You are given an identity card and you're divided into one of two teams, either the red team or the blue team. The blue team has a special character called the president and the red team has a special character, the bomb. And your goal for the red team is to end the game with the bomber and the president in the same room. And the blue team wants the president and the bomb in different rooms. Because at the end of the game, the bomb will go off. And it's just asking like, hey, what team are you on? What team are you on? And then you can try and try to figure out. Uh, there's some card information sharing. There's some other special roles. Like there's a member of the red team who looks like they're on the blue team. There's uh, a member of the red. Uh, there's a member of the red and blue team that uh, can't reveal their cards. So you don't know exactly who they are. So there's there's some roles to add to the shiftiness. And it allows for some good player engagement in the line. Yeah. Yeah, it gives it, it allows for that player space. And it wasn't my favorite game, but it's What was the uh what was the player count? Thirteen people. Yeah, so the way two rooms in a boom works is you are divided into two rooms as evenly as possible by the player count, and at the end of three minutes, each room exta- exchanges hostages. And these are de- designated people that have to switch between the rooms. And then you do it again, but this time you have two minutes. And then you do it again, and this time you only have one minute. And at the end of the third round, the bomb goes off. And uh, everybody just stands around, listening to the narrator of the game reveal, roll by roll, to see who wins. I was okay at it. I was alright. It wasn't yeah. my favorite game, but it plays so quickly, it's not something you can really get mad at. We played, I think, three rounds of it, and then we were done in 30 minutes. Yeah, I, I had the nice fortune of being able to play that at a convention in the before times. Oh, you get to play it at Mega Moose? Yep, in 2019, I was able. To, uh, they did a special event where they had two rooms at this conference center, and we had, I think, about two dozen people. Oh, fun. I think my enjoyment was a little bit hampered by the fact that uh, I never got a special role in any of the times we played. Yeah. Just, just a bystander. I mean... Uh, like you said, there's the role where you're not allowed to reveal your cards. You can just lie and say, man, I can't I can't show you. I'm just, I can't show you. You gotta trust me. I'm blue. I can't show you. <laughs> yeah. So that was one of the few new games that I got to play. Uh, I taught mom how to play Wingspan. And uh, she enjoyed it so much that she asked to play it again the next day. So she requested Wingspan the second day. And that was a lot of fun. Mom's a bit of a birder. I knew she would, she would like it if I could actually get her to play it. So that was, uh, that was a good time. And the last game I want to talk about in our in our next segment. The Road to the 100. I finally got a chance to play Russian Railroads. I'm sorry for playing without you. It's fine. You picked a busy weekend for me. I've been trying to get it to the metaphorical table for so long. And I finally conned Nate into playing it. Just um, you and Nate? Just Nate and I. Yeah. So we played a two-player version only. Russian Railroads is a worker placement game put out by Z-Man Games that is currently out of print, but I believe it's coming back into print this winter. It's been out of print for a few years now, so I'm, I might pick up a copy. I'm gonna, I, I need to play it a couple of more times to see if I, I actually want to own this game. Uh, it's a worker placement game about trying to improve the Russian railroad system as best as you can. And it's one of those worker placement games where every action spot is great. So there were several times during that game where I felt that tension of Nate, don't take my spot. Nate, don't take my spot. And he goes there because it's, it's an amazing action. And now I just have five different other amazing actions to choose from. But he just took the one I wanted. <laughs> it's one of those point salad styles games where you, uh, you score points 
every single round for every single thing you do, but uh, it was a blast, and I built up the Russian railroad system the best and ended up winning. I want to say something snarky about the fact that you just picked on a little kid. Uh, <laughs> it's not a board game. <laughs> yeah, Nate, Nate is the youngest brother, so I just picked on him. <laughs> for the listeners, David picked our youngest brother, who does not play nearly as many board games as us, and played a heavy... You know that uh, that might be changing because uh, he got sorted. They got sorted into uh, families. Nate just started college, and the family that he got sorted into is the official board game family. Fair mm-hmm. enough. I'm not saying that there's not time. It's just that he he's much <laughs> younger, just graduated high school, newer to this hobby. David plucked him out <laughs> of his life, guilt tripped him into playing a board game, and then just smothered his hopes and dreams <laughs> over the course of two hours. <laughs> Other than the fact that it wasn't wasn't nearly two hours long, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I definitely like the the uh, the kinds of games where you score every single round, mm-hmm. uh, and you get a nice cascading feel. Where, you know, like the first turn you score two, three points, maybe. And then the second turn, you know, like ten or, and then so forth. And by the end of it, you're like 50, 50 points. Just, I, <laughs> I haven't played Russian Roads. I can't say if that's accurate. No, that's very accurate. I think I ended with a little over 300 points. Without I knew... it being, what is it, like, what is it the Grindhouse games or whatever, where if you make a mistake in the beginning, you're over. It's just the, uh, the games where it has a nice momentum. I like games with good momentum. Mm-hmm. I like engine games. There you go. All right, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you got there. You got there in time. <laughs> no, I've, I've never played, but I, I believe you agreed to play with me and some other people on our Discord server. Shout out to our Discord server. Link in the description. Uh, Link in the description. Join our Discord server. Play games with us. So I think uh, we're going to try to organize a game night where we are going to play with some of our listeners. Now we move on to Game of the Fortnite, the game that we think should be recognized for at least the next two weeks. This Fortnite, the game we think that should be recognized, is Great Western Trail by Alexander Pfister. But we both played this, not together. I guess we haven't played this one together. So what do you think about this game? So this is a, a rondelle-style game, which means there's a path of actions that you can take that is in a continuous loop. It has a couple of branching paths, but the actions that you take are... Buying cows, drawing cards from your deck to get the best hand of cows, moving your train along the track. And you're moving your cowboy down the trail just trying to get your the, the best herd that you can get before you make it to Kansas City where you have to sell all your cows. And it's a pretty straightforward game, the core mechanic-wise. But it allows for some deep gameplay, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's got uh, three hot-looking men on the cover, too. (laughs) You know this box by the fact that there are three soulless pairs of eyes staring out at you. (laughs) But great games aren't always pretty. No, they're especially in board gaming. Great games are not always pretty. I really like the branching strategies that Great Western Trail offers you. Because you can go for the cowboy strategy, which is get a lot of cowboys, buy expensive cows, sell those cows, step four is profit. That's actually how I won uh, my first game. The guy who taught it to me, my friend, he was just like, the way to win this game is to sell cows, and I took that to heart. (laughs) (laughs) The second big strategy is your train engineers. You can uh, move your train along the track, building up your train infrastructure. The better your train infrastructure, the less the less money you lose when selling cattle because you you can sell as as far as your cows will let you, but 
you have to pay the cost if your trains aren't up to snuff. The final way is uh, build buildings, which is the strategy I usually go for. So I don't usually win. It's a trickier strategy. You have to build buildings, which actually makes the Great Western Trail longer because you can only move so far and so far being spots on the board. And if I'm adding my buildings, I'm slowing the game down a little bit but I'm slowing it down, making it better for me. And it's one of those games where you have to really pay attention to the pacing. The game will sneak up on you if you don't, if you're not paying attention to uh, where everybody's going. Have you only played the one time? Yeah, I've only played it one time. That was one of the games that I played during super serious lockdown time of last year where nobody went anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a game that I played online with my friends in totally legit and ethical ways. <laughs> Link <laughs> yeah, in the description. Uh, <laughs> no links in the description. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I like I like the the different. There's a there's a lot going on in the Great Western Trail. So obviously you have the Great Western Trail, which goes from a town to Kansas City. And then, along the edge of, of the board, well, two edges of the board, you have this train that you're moving farther forward. And then, in the bottom left-hand corner, you have all these different people that you can employ, whether it's cowboys, businessmen, or workers, engineers. Engineers, yeah. It's cowboys, builders, and engineers. Yeah, cowboys, builders, and engineers. Then you got the cow market at one end of the board, which has your... <laughs> you know, your fancy cows, your cheap cows, your medium cows, and then you got your own place, uh, personal player board. Every time you deliver, you can upgrade your personal player board. Every time you uh, you take an action, you make your deck a little bit better. You make your hand a little bit better, and it's all about it's all about maximizing the efficiency of your actions to get the best cowboy hand. Exactly, exactly. So there's a lot going on, but I think. Even though there's a lot going on, the mechanics work very well. And like you said, there are three main strategies. I like games that have viable different playing options. There is no, this is the way you have to win. Mm -hmm. You can play different ways and still win. And yet the mechanics still feel very good together. Mm -hmm. I actually so. just got the expansion for Great Western Trail called Rails to the North. Um, and it doesn't change that much. All it adds is a little mini game on the, uh, on the rail board. It reduces the number of cities that you can deliver to at first. And then you have to build your infrastructure out west, but also north. You, you have to build your train infrastructure in a couple of ways using several different actions. And you haven't gotten that to the table yet? No, I did. Highly recommend it. And like I said, there's not much to talk about to it because it's such... It's an expansion that you can just fold into the actual gameplay. There's not, there's not that much difference. There's just one extra action that you can do because you... There are spots that say, hey, take one of your sideboard action. It adds one new sideboard action, and that's it. Must-have expansion, or... I've only played it the one time, so I don't know if it's a must-have yet, but uh, I'll keep you posted. And that's a, that's a very good question leading into our next segment, which is... Brother Talk. This fortnight, we wanted to talk about ugly games that are beautiful on the inside. Uh, for you listeners, if you didn't get the implication from David's transition, he is implying that uh, Great Western Trail is not a good-looking game. So board games, they want you want you want your board games to pop, and you they, you want them to look nice on the table. It's uh it's a way you're you're spending a few hours around with friends around a table. You want it to look inviting, and the board looks fine, I would say. But if you take a look at that 
box. The box for Great Western Trail is hideous. It's black and white with these three, like I said earlier, soulless men on it. I think there's a train on it. I think the industry has done a very good job in terms of art direction in the past five years. So much so that uh, Great Western Trail is getting a reprint with better artwork. And you brought up an interesting point with, is this expansion essential? Because the reprint is not being reprinted with the expansion right away. Yeah, it's, it's just the base game with a couple of minor modifications. But it does look way prettier. It's more pastel colored. It has a more picturesque box cover to make it uh, pop off the board. But, you know, that's really never bothered me because my mantra has always been, if it's ugly, it's got to be good. So what is what is your, and I mean this in the most endearing way possible, what is your favorite ugly board game? Hmm. The one I've played the most has got to be San Juan, which I have previously described as the most fun you can have with beige. I just got another game to the table recently called La Isla, which I uh, mentioned. It's designed by Stefan Feld, one of my favorite designers. That is, it's just an eyesore. It's colors all over the board. The board is mostly brown with splotches of color everywhere. That's kind of uh, kind of unsettling to the eyes. All right, so overall, and I'll get to an ugly game that I really like. Overall, I don't think Terraforming Mars is an ugly game, but I do think that the artwork on their cards is inconsistent. Isn't it just so- clip art? Some of it feels like clip art, but I love the game. I would recommend it to a lot of people. Uh, it's just the the board feels good. The tiles that go on the board feels good. The cards you draw are, uh, there's something else. Which is, I would say that's an ugly game, just because the majority of the art is the giant deck of cards you have. Absolutely. I'm a little spoiled, though, because I've mostly played Terraforming Mars on the app, uh, on the on the Steam game version. While it doesn't change the art on the cards, the board looks you're not, gorgeous. You're not staring at it. You're yeah, not staring at it. You're not staring at the art in the cards, and the but the board looks gorgeous. I don't have too many ugly games, because Ellen picks a lot of the games that uh, we play, and she does she does like pretty games. But she likes pretty games that are also really good. I'm going to say that Uwe Rosenberg has a pretty consistent art style, the games that he puts out. Yeah, uh, I think Clemens Franz does the art for a good chunk of Uwe Rosenberg's games. However, uh, I don't like Clemens Franz's art. They they have to be popular because they keep getting they keep getting uh, used as board game art, but that's not it's for me. It's iconic. It's iconic. All right. Can't. <laughs> All right, listeners. I'm picking out games that I really like. I'm not going to pick out a game that's bad and also has bad artwork. The games that I'm saying, I want you to play. All right. We're not just dunking on bad games and bad artwork. Board gaming just has a history of lackluster visual design, which is changing in the. Changing in the recent years, like you mentioned, in the last five or so years, it's been a, a real step up. One of my favorite games, I think you would call it bad art, is on uh, Quantum, which is a pretty abstract strategy game designed by Eric Zimmerman. And it's not so much that the art is bad, it's mostly not there. You've got little circles in the middle of grid tiles, and you build those out for your map. So it's pretty boring looking, but it's a really good abstract strategy game. Yeah, I wouldn't mind playing with you if I didn't get, mind getting my butt beat every single time. Not to, not to brag too much, but I was once ranked in the top 20 on Board Game Arena. I think I played the number four guy once. I beat them, and they were very salty. I mean, there's there's some uh, classic ones like Castles of Burgundy and Cannes. 
and Ascension, which I never really played. Ooh, yeah, Ascension's hideous. And I don't know if I've voiced my opinion about deck builders on this podcast, but I used to be of the opinion that if a deck builder has a trade row, it's garbage. Used uh, to be? It's shifting slightly. It's yeah, shifting say, slightly. Just put out a meme on the on the Discord this week. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, also, when I put that out, I also made that meme. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> I did. You should get Ascension on your phone. It's free. I had this funny discussion with some of my friends about what was their deck building gateway, Dominion or Ascension. And I think it's about a 50-50 with my board gaming group on whether their deck building uh, gateway was one of those two. Right, so mine mine was definitely Dominion. Uh, so I'm a purist when it comes to deck builders. But the trade row done in Ascension is well done because you're not battling the life points of your opponent like uh, you are in Star Realms or Hero Realms. You are trying to balance two currencies in your deck. One is just like the money to buy cards but then there's also combat that you have to use to fight monsters. And that balance is really interesting. And there are more and more deck builders with a trade row that I find are walking that line of... Or, or finding an in, a, a way to make the trade row interesting to me. And Ascension is one of those, and it's ugly as sin. But it's a good game. It's a good game. From what and I hear, if you have an original printing of Ascension... It looks like it was just drawn on, like, a school notebook. Like, you can see the lines where it was drawn. We have come a long way in board gaming. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I guess we shouldn't talk too much uh, as as a Dominion purist. I can't t- talk too bad about the Ascension art, because the Dominion arts, some of the cards aren't bad. Some of the cards aren't bad. But they hire a bunch of different artists, so it's not consistent. It's kind of like that terraforming Mars thing where it's not consistent throughout the uh, uh, throughout all the expansions. I don't have a problem with it because Dominion is really not that theme, that much of a themed game anyway. It's just, uh, this is a card that does this one thing. I don't need to look at it anymore. The pictures become a quick reference to, oh, that's what that card does. Not, ooh, look at the pretty art on this card. I'm trying to think about the ugliest card in Dominion now. I'll send a picture on our Discord later. Of the ugliest cards in Dominion. Join our Discord. Join our Discord. You'll see these pictures. <laughs> a lot of shoutouts to our Discord this podcast. For the first few episodes, we didn't have a Discord. Mainly because, and I hope you guys have figured this out by now, the first few episodes were recorded months in advance. <laughs> and then we got our act together. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. A little bit. I think the reason that good, ugly games are going away is that so many good games are being released every year that there's no excuse to be ugly anymore. It's, I'm not going to be able to play every good game, so why should I play a good ugly game when I could play a good pretty game? And it's not only that. Imagine a person walking into a board game store. They might have hearsay. I feel like someone's more likely to buy a mediocre good-looking game than a really good mediocre-looking game. Right, because the the good-looking games are the ones that pop off the shelf. Exactly, exactly. It's mail time! The time of the podcast where we answer questions sent in by listeners like you. The question of this fortnight comes from one of our listeners. So this question is, what are some games sitting on your wish list? Well, 
any of the games that are on my wish list right now are because we live in a capitalist society and I was taught to need more things. Serious answer is only. <laughs> <laughs> like we talked about uh, in our last podcast, Cult of the... Not our last podcast. Was it two podcasts ago we talked about Cult of the New? Yeah, I mean, are there any upcoming games that you're looking out for that you think that you're going to buy but haven't pulled the trigger yet? The games that I want are typically games from other countries that either haven't made it to America yet or they made it to America when I wasn't paying attention and then immediately sold out. And the two biggest offenders of that are Micro Macro Crime City, which just won the Spiel des Jahres this year. It looks interesting. It looks unique. It's a Where's Waldo crime-solving game, and I want to play it. Play it with his wife. I want to play it with my wife. That's my (laughs) wife! (laughs) At the time of recording, it's supposed to come out in about a month, I think. Oh, and I'm going to buy it as soon as I can. And then the other one that I missed out on this year is a game from a Brazilian company called Devere. They've put out quite a few interesting-looking games, but the one that I missed out on is Red Cathedral. I think that falls under the kind of ugly but really fun-looking games. It's It's kind of a dice rondelle where you choose one die, you move it, a number of spaces and you take whatever action it lands on and it looks just euroy that fits in an hour it looks right up my alley i missed the pre-order on miniature market and it hasn't been in stock since have you been uh, going out on the trades and looking there i haven't i haven't <laughs> well just the inflection of the first i haven't made it sound like i was going to say something else <laughs> i just haven't looked at the trades i'm pretty good about getting games to the table but currently, I want to play Sleeping Gods because we are about two-thirds of the way through our campaign, and I just want to finish it off. But I also want to play Scythe Rise of Fenris. Uh, but I need to stop buying campaign games because those are hard to play session after session after session. My D&D group is also my board gaming group, which makes it hard to play those long games right now <laughs> because we have to decide whether or not we're going to play D&D or a long game. Uh, <laughs> someone in my group bought Oath. And we want to play Oath, and I mm. technically I don't want it, but it's on my wish list. And at the day of recording, the RTF Vim, RTFM video on how to play Oath was just released today. Well, very nice. Shout out to R- RTFM. Shout out to Shea Parker. <laughs> and uh, but I think on my wish list for games that I want to own, we were talking about this earlier. It's just I want to own uh, Fayum, which is sold out right now because that's how it is. It's there are really weird release schedules for board gaming. It's not like movies and music where, where it's a lot easier to keep track of when things are coming out. I have a, a pretty good handle on when board games are like most board games are being released in America from American publishers. But like like I've mentioned with Devere, with um, I think it's Pegasus Spiel for Micro Macro. 2F for fam. It's just all these games. There's a ton of great games being made every day, and they're not all made in America. So we have to. They're not always in English. They're not always in English. What what game is it that you have that's not in English? The only game that I have that's not in English is Dipalish von Carrara. An English Kickstarter is coming out this year. So it's a great game. It's yeah, man. That's another great game that's pretty ugly. I just uh, just uh, type in Euro into Board Game Geek and <laughs> you'll get a pretty good list of 
<laughs> a pretty good list of great games that are ugly. Well, that's what's currently on my wish list. Only because my board gaming friends buy games faster than I do, so I, I seek out those games that I know that they're not going to get. So you need to find the obscure, quirky games. Yeah, yeah. That that I know I and they will enjoy. Mm-hmm. So what's, what's Fayum play like? Have you ever played Power Grid? I have a couple of times. I'm really bad at it. So I don't think it's quite a... It's got the auction system kind of like in Power Grid. Deck slash bag building and hand management. So so you got a map that you're working resources on and you got your bidding on some stuff and you're managing your pool. I've, I've heard good to great reviews on it. Okay, I'll have to take a look at it. That's it for this podcast, listeners. Join us again in a fortnight. And to the Brothers Murph... We can't wait to take you down on our scheduled game. Well, almost scheduled. Schedule pending. <laughs> if you have any questions, you can email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com. Or you can leave a message on our Discord, and you can find the link for that in the description below. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.